0: Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, And follow BSL on Twitter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are here for episode 24 of The Bank. I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. I'm Jordan Coe. You guys can check us out at baltimoresportsandlife.com. We both write some articles about the games and the Ravens there. We also post on the message board pretty actively. So if you've got any thoughts or ideas, things that you want to see covered or things that you want to talk about, we're happy to go over them there. Um, so it seems like a lot is going on in the NFL right now, Gabe, um, we'll talk a little bit about the Ravens and, and stuff on the field with football down the road, but we've got our first COVID incidents. And you and I have talked about this a few times as we led into the season about how we thought this was going to have an impact. And lo and behold, um, the team that knocked the Ravens out of the playoffs this year might get themselves knocked out with COVID. Um, they've got now, I think five different players that have tested positive, And today there was a new reported positive. Um, linked as well, so which led the NFL to completely cancel the game um, for this upcoming week. Um, what do you think is going to happen? So
1: I think there are a few things that could happen um, and one of the situations could directly affect the Ravens. Um, and this is something that I think Adam Chapter tweeted. Um, because the Ravens and the Steelers share a bye um, and the, I think the Titans have a by the next week or something like that, the the game that the Ravens and Steelers could play could be shifted uh, one week earlier or one week later, something like that. And then the Titans and the Steelers would make up that game later in the season in what used to be the, or the Titans by uh, basically the, the Titans and the Steelers would take a bye in week four um, and then make it up later and they have a slight shift in the schedule for the Ravens and the Steelers. So um, I don't know how much that affects the Ravens. I think any change to the schedule is less than optimal um, because it's not what you planned for. So you have to adjust for that. Um, and especially when you're it's with a division opponent and you have to kind of reschedule for it, it's a little frustrating. Um, but I think in the larger scheme of things, I'm more concerned about this kind of thing happening again. So talking about COVID specifically, this is exactly what we didn't want to see happen, an outbreak happen in a facility. The other thing I saw happen today was the NFL came out with even stricter policies within practice facilities that teams are going to have to um, adhere to now. Uh, Basically everybody has to wear masks at all times. Um, Players have to wear gloves on the practice field. Only 10 people can be in the weight room. I think that's like just a handful of things that they're enacting to make sure this doesn't happen because they're scared now. They're scared that this could happen to a couple of different teams. It's possible that the Minnesota Vikings got affected because they played the Tennessee Titans and there were players who were did have the um, the coronavirus that were playing on the field and didn't test positive on that day, so they were still allowed to play. But they tested positive afterwards, so it's possible that they could you know um, spread it to the team they were playing. So the Vikings now have to kind of be in a holding pattern to see if they any of their players test positive. Um, so we can see how this can kind of spiral out of control very easily. Um, I'm hoping obviously that this is contained and it's like a, a one time thing and teams are going to, you know, be very careful about what they're doing. But um in the short term, it looks like we're at least gonna have a postponement of one game and in the long term, um, we don't know.
0: Yeah, lots to unpack there. Let me start with the Vikings. Um so far they're test free. Um, they've they've all tested negative um, and they've been cleared for some activity um, and players are allowed to come back to the facility and they're going to be okay. But, you know, they're the real losers in this, right. In the sense that um, they were affected by it and they may not have any positives um, and it could have a pretty gnarly outcome um, in terms of what happens to them this week, because it really disrupts their preparation and their schedule. Like you said, any disruption to the schedule is certainly one that hurts. Um, I think if you look at the Steelers, them getting this game canceled means that they're going to lose their bye in some sense or another. Um, And and if they have to play on their upcoming bye week, they're going to have 13 weeks in a row that they have to play. Um, the last time you saw something like this was when the Ravens had their Houston game actually canceled um, due to uh, that hurricane. I don't know if you remember that, but the Ravens went to the AFC championship game that year. So, you know, how much look, the bye week is great for getting healthy and preparing in a given week. Um, And I think that as that relates to the Ravens, you know, that's a plus like the Ravens, you know, have the, have the Washington football team, the Bengals and the Eagles lined up the next three weeks. That, that is as layup as you can get on your schedule. Um, being able to then take that into a bye week before they have to play the Steelers, um, if they move the game with the Steelers back a week with the Ravens um, and move the Titans-Steelers game to before that is a win-win, I think, kind of across the board for the Ravens. Um, you know, it, it gives them, you're only moving their bye week by one week. So you're not kind of adversely affecting that. And then you're making the sealers play the Browns and um, the Browns and the Titans in consecutive weeks before the Ravens, and then have to play the Cowboys right after that. That's a, that's going to be a tough stretch for them. And like you said, um, you know, that's a change with the change in this, their schedule as well. Um, so, you know, all those fronts are interesting, but I think you're right. In the biggest picture of this all, um, is that the NFL should be very worried about this. Um, they need to get it cleaned up. They need to have a protocol. The NFL probably should have considered giving everybody like multiple bye weeks, like two or three bye weeks this season, and stretching it out. There was no reason not to, um, and all the all the reason in the world to stretch this out longer, so more fans could be at games, more money could be made um more health procedures could be put into place but it's the nfl and they kind of do whatever the heck they want however they want and seem to be completely unaccountable for it um at the end of the day you know you you look at their usage of colin kaepernick in their honor videos of the black lives matter and you know player unity stuff to start the year just completely tone deaf and they take very you know very little blowback on those kind of things so at the end of the day, America loves its football, and I think that you know the NFL didn't do a great job with kind of how they've set this up. But I don't think it's going to change much.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were talking before we started this uh, podcast, and you said there's possible there's a possibility of this game just not being played, um, and I think that's probably the last ditch effort. Basically, the teams would just skip a week, and the game game's outcome matters in terms of playoff seedings or who makes the playoffs, and they would play it in an a end-of-the-year kind of situation. Um, and that just seems like it would definitely throw off a lot of things because then you'd have one week where only one game is being played. Hopefully only one game is being played. Um, I think that's hopefully not what has to happen. That might be something that happens if, for instance, the Vikings can't play too. So then you have two games that you have to postpone or push. Um, I could see that happening. And and maybe that being like just an extra week, that's going to be built in if this happens a few other times throughout the course of the season. Um, but I think that's something that the NFL is going to want to avoid if at all possible. So the most likely scenario is, I think what we talked about, um, you know, the Steelers and the Titans will just have this bye week in week four, and then they're going to have to make up the game during the week eight period. Um, But, you know, I think that this is just something that everybody thought could happen. We were hoping it wouldn't happen. And now we just have to see how it's going to all play out. And we just have to hope that this is kind of a one-time incident and moving forward, um, just hope that, you know, the changes that they're putting into the protocols are going to be enough to kind of make make sure the season um, really
0: finishes out. Yeah. Well speaking of something else that we kind of could have probably predicted and expected um you know in non-covid related news the ravens extended marlon humphrey um to just a shade under 99 million dollars it's five-year extension it doesn't similar to mahomes's contract it does not override um the final two years so like his his final rookie year and his option rookie year stay in place Um, I think that lowers the average value of the next seven seasons for, for Humphrey to somewhere around 15 million. Um, and keeps his number down, I think, by about 3 or $4 million from a salary cap number next season, because um, it gets spread, like like similar to what happened with Mahomes, it just kind of spreads some things around a little bit. Um, and so I'm sure, and I haven't seen what the back-end cap numbers look like for that last year. I'd expect a cut or extension um, in kind of year seven from now, um, but I think any player would expect that kind of thing will know what his performance looks like a long time from now. Uh, but I'm happy about this move. Marlon Humphrey is perhaps, um, I think you could argue, the second best player on the Ravens sometimes, um, and certainly has the age and has the skill set to be a very good Raven for a very long time. Yeah,
1: I think it's a fantastic deal for both the player and the team. Um, and anytime that happens, I think that's a win. So he's been, you know, a guy who just continues to get better, I think. And he has all the attributes that you want um, from one of your star players. You know, he's a hard worker, he's humble. Um, he sets the tone defensively, he's a playmaker. Um, you know, he's he's a guy who kind of has the mentality of a linebacker, but, you know, the coverage skill is obviously of, of an elite shutdown corner. And he's somebody that's willing to do whatever the team asks him to do. You know, if, as we saw when Tavon Young got hurt, Marlon Humphrey was the first guy to go out there and play in the slot, Um, although he'd be better suited if he was able to stay out wide, but playing in the slot is definitely the thing that helps the Ravens the most, so he went ahead and did that, so that's exactly the kind of player that you want, um, and I think in terms of money is concerned, it's a good deal, especially like you mentioned, it's an extension that kicks in after his, his fifth year option year, so... They're really getting him. I think, like you said, around $15, 16 million dollars per year over the course of the deal, which I think is a very good, um, fair deal for any any star cornerback in the league, and and he is a star cornerback. I think he's probably one of the you know top five cornerbacks in the NFL, and you know now that have him locked up long term, that's that's great news, and that's one last player that the Ravens are going to have to worry about long term because you have him. And, yeah, it's possible that you're going to want to do something at the end of the contract, but he's only 24 years old, I think, and he'll be, like, you know, he'll be 29, 30 at the time this contract is over. So you have a lot of time to figure out um, what's going to happen. And by that point, I think the the salary cap is probably going to go up quite a bit. Um, You know, there's going to be new money that comes in from from TV um, situations. So I think this is kind of the ideal time to extend a guy like Humphrey. I think the other thing that I'm looking for now is Ronnie Stanley. You know, he's he's the other player who is kind of a cornerstone player for the Ravens, um, first-round pick. He's played exceptionally well. Um, you obviously want to lock up your elite left tackle for basically the length of his career. And I think um, he's probably going to be looking at a similar type contract, something that gives him the same kind of area, probably around $20 million per year he doesn't have the luxury of getting that extra, you know, season that Humphrey did or the Ravens don't have that luxury because Stanley's already playing on his fifth year option year. So it's probably going to be a little bit more expensive to lock him up long term. Um, Obviously the franchise tag does loom. So if they don't come to an agreement, he's probably a player who will receive the franchise tag. So the Ravens have that kind of bargaining power on their side. Um, But I do think that, He's the next player who's going to be signed to a long-term deal. And I think ideally it will happen this year before his offseason before he has to go through the franchise tag
0: situation. So I'm
1: looking forward to when that happens.
0: Yeah, the Ravens don't have a whole lot of other options to tackle. So <laughs> Ronnie Stanley is gonna be a Baltimore Raven in um 2021. I feel pretty confident in saying that. The methodology of which that executes um, is certainly up for debate. I, I'd love to see Ronnie Stanley on a deal um, that's kind of a little under what Tunsil got. Tunsil, you know, because any, anything the Houston Texans do, every the rest of the league should do a little bit less or if, in, in the worst case of scenarios, get get back or give a little more whichever it is assume that they did wrong in their front office um i think that's going to be the sticking point for stanley um and so maybe he wants to play on the franchise tag for a year so he can get the money that's better than Tunsil's the year after that um that'd be not ideal for the ravens given that what 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 could be happening with the salary cap you really want to lower that number um in 2021 so there's there's real opportunity to make sure that deal happens there Um, and then it's Lamar. I mean, those three guys should, there's really no question about locking those guys up, I think. Um, and, and beyond that, you know, it starts to get a little bit more interesting about where and how they keep kind of everybody else on board, but they're their top players. And I'd have no problem with seeing them kind of keep through all three of those guys through their primes. Yeah, for sure.
1: And I think, you know, getting back to the present, um, and, and the Ravens current Ravens team. Obviously, they had a disappointing loss um, this past week against Kansas City, but you know the two players we were talking about, uh, Ronnie Stanley and Marlon Humphrey. I think they were two actually shining stars in that game. I, I think Ronnie Stanley maybe gave up half half a sack, but he didn't really allow any other pressures that I can remember. He was stalwart on the edge for the Ravens, and Marlon Humphrey was you know pretty good in coverage. He wasn't the guy he was being picked on out there. It was. It was the Ravens linebackers and it was Marcus Peters who were letting up the most of the completions in that game. Um, obviously, that game didn't go how the Ravens wanted. Um, anytime you get kind of whooped on Monday Night Football, it's not ideal. Um, but I think there were some positives that could potentially be taken away from it. Um, what, are the, what are the overall takeaways that you have from that game?
0: Yeah, you know... I mean, I was really frustrated when the game was happening, um, as I'm sure a lot of Ravens fans were. It was pretty, it was pretty disheartening because it was a lackluster effort. I think at every level. So I think that that was one of my takeaways. I, it felt like the preparation or the execution wasn't there, and that's always really disappointing. Sometimes, you know, the Ravens have lost some games because they haven't executed. Um, and that happens, this game, it didn't just feel like it was just the execution. It felt like it was both. And there are big games where the Ravens have kind of executed relatively well enough to win, but we're we're just outcoached. Um, And that happens to all teams, like even even the Patriots, you know, or any of these other good teams, those things happen. Um, I think my takeaway is actually not that different now that I'm now that I'm four full days removed from the game or three full days removed from the game. It's not that different than what I felt about the Texans game, which is that they still were just missing here and there individually on certain things at times. And sometimes that was Greg Roman. Sometimes that was Wink Martindale. Sometimes that was Ronnie Stanley. That Chris Jones fumble was, I think, in large part due to Ronnie Stanley not communicating effectively with Bozeman, or those two guys not being prepared for what should have been a pretty obvious, like regular stunt type action between Chris Jones and the outside linebacker with regularity. Um, there were a couple drops, there were a couple missed reads by Lamar. Um, but by and large, you had nine or 10 guys on both sides of the ball playing pretty well most of the plays. You just had Patrick Mahomes on the other side or you had a couple things going wrong to the extent that that they got away from them. So, uh, you know, the other thing is it felt like the Chiefs, the Chiefs thought the Ravens were going to bring their A game and they threw the kitchen sink at Baltimore across the board and Baltimore wasn't ready for it. Now, that means two things. One, Baltimore has seen the best that Kansas City has to offer and is going to be ready for it on the next go around. But two, I also think that Patrick Queen, Malik Harrison, Marcus Peters are going to be, and Lamar Jackson, are, and Mark Andrews. I guess that list can continue to grow. <laughs> All those guys will be ready the next go around. Um, you, you know, when when the, when it comes to when it comes to fruition. Yeah,
1: I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. And one of the things you mentioned was last week, week two, you know, the Ravens didn't execute on a lot of plays, but I think that the Ravens had just more talent than the Houston Texans did. When you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs, you don't have more talent than the Kansas City Chiefs do. Um, they are a team that if you're not bringing your A game, they're really going to take it to you. And that's what happened. I do think that the Chiefs were much better prepared uh, both sides of the ball. They seemed to have an idea and a plan of what the Ravens are going to do. And they knew how to defeat that. And I don't think it was all negative for the Ravens, as I mentioned, I think one thing that, um, especially going back and reviewing the game, the Ravens have ran the ball pretty well, um, and that's why, in hindsight, it's frustrating that Greg Roman kind of got away from the run in the first half. Um, partially, I think, obviously, when you're down like two scores, you want to you know, you know, use your MVP quarterback and and get back in it. And you know, they had some plays that could have gone differently, and maybe it wouldn't have been that big of a deal, but it didn't go differently. And because you abandoned the run, you gave the ball right back to the other team and they put up more points. And then you kind of got screwed. So if the Ravens had kind of stuck to their game plans, stuck to running the ball, they could have extended some drives. They could have gotten some points on the board, maybe kept the score a little lower. A lot of things could have changed and, and been better for the Ravens. And I think that they're going to review that film and be like, what were we doing? I know this is kind of the thing we've seen from Greg Roman in the past. We saw it in the Tennessee game last year in the playoffs. We saw it last year against the Chiefs, frankly, in in week three of last season. Um, And then they did some things in the second half where they started running the ball again and they got back in the game. Exact same thing happened this week. I hope that they have learned their lesson and say, even if we're down two scores in the first half, we don't have to abandon the run. We can still run the ball. We can still use our play action. This is how we have built our team and we're not going to deviate from that and we're just going to keep keep true to the game plan and we're going to dominate teams the way we know how to dominate them
0: well i think we also have to admit that we were wrong <laughs> i know that you and i when the season started we like we'd really like to see the ravens throw the ball a little bit more get comfortable with it like be in a position where they're ready to do that I think I'm ready to admit that that is the wrong approach for this team. Um, they need to focus on their run. They need to focus on. They need to find ways to attack teams running the ball um, on film that they see in advance of games. They need to start there and they need to build on it. And when I say they start there, I mean they need to start there and not let go. <laughs> you know, if you've seen something on tape, you know it's likely that you can exploit it. Continue to do so, um, and we can talk a little bit about how you know where we we see them doing that with the upcoming Washington football team. But, you know, there's one other thing that I'm, I'm also going to say that I think I might have been a little bit wrong about, which is that I thought that, you know, my inclination is that these fire zone blitzes for the Ravens are not the right solution. Dropping Matt Judon, Tyus Bowser, and Mar- uh, or Brunel McPhee into coverage and blitzing Chuck Clark and Marlon Humphrey is the wrong option. I still stand by that, but I think the Ravens could have rushed... Patrick Mahomes more often. If you're going to put seven guys at the line of scrimmage, you need to rush seven guys more than twice in the game, right? Like, like go and hit him, go and go and make him pay on some of these, right? The deception, once he beats it, basically gives Mahomes the time and the space and the luxury of not getting hit. They needed to, they needed to go hit him hard multiple times, whack him around. And, and some of the shenanigans that he pulled in that game would have stopped, you know, some of the sliding in the pocket, what's it, if they could have rattled him a little bit, but they never brought the heat in that way. And I would have been totally fine. If we saw touchdowns like the hardman touchdown over Marcus Peters' shoulder, like that was just a, a and that was an, or Tyree kill. That was the Tyree kill touchdown. That was an amazing play. I will give that up 10 times out of 10. If it means that Patrick Mahomes is going to be on his butt at the end of that play. And I think, I think that's what the Ravens got away from. It's, it's, this this concept of like deception is is fine um, sometimes, but sometimes you just got to go hit the other quarterback. And you know, I don't think they did that enough with Mahomes in, in retrospect. After kind of rewatching this game,
1: yeah, I think that um, I would absolutely agree with you. They, I think they wanted to try to be deceptive, but then also wanted to drop players in the coverage. So they kind of did the let's uh, you know have a cake and eat it too kind of thing. We're going to like try and be tricky, but then we're still going to give you open receivers and give you time in the pocket. And that's not going to work. You either have to actually bring the pressure and make him, you know, actually pay for holding on to the ball, or you have to say, okay, we're just going to rush for and We're going to drop and maybe we can get home with the pressure, but we're mostly just going to, you know, go man to man and and hope we can cover um, and not let things get behind us, and and maybe that's not the right way of doing things with the way the Ravens um, front is to, is configured. Um, but I think they just kind of tried to middle ground, and that wasn't going to work. Yeah. Um,
0: so so I, there's plenty for them to improve there. Um, but luckily, we get a fantastically amazing, unnamed football team um, this upcoming <laughs> week, and I think that I think there's going to be. I mean, I hope there's going to be some taking out of some aggression in this upcoming game. Um, and, and I know you're going to talk a little bit about um, the Ravens offense against the cheat or against the chiefs. I can't, still can't get them out of my head against the Washington <laughs> football team's defense. Um, you know, but the defense seems to be the shining shining star, so to speak of uh, for Washington team, Washington's team. Um, what'd you see from that? So they have
1: a very good defensive line. Um, I think that's, Probably well known, they they invested first round picks in their defense for you know probably the past four or five years now. They just have a lot of talent, and it shows. You know they especially I think against the past, they are more um, talented in in their rush than they are in their run defense. Um, and you know I think that kind of kind of goes to what we were saying about seeing the Ravens run the ball a little bit more. They run a primarily 4-3 defense. They don't blitz very often, so it's mostly just a four-man pass rush. So in some senses, I think the Ravens can actually pass the ball too because they, the the Washington team that doesn't have a name is going to not have two of his top pass rushers. Um, in their first-round pick um, out of Ohio State, Chase Young, who was a very good player, um, and also, they're missing a defensive lineman or defensive tackle, Matt Einitas, who's a very underrated, but also a very talented player. So losing those two guys um, is going to affect their ability to get after the quarterback. Um, but mostly, I think the Ravens should just try and run the ball down their throats. We saw the Browns do that really effectively in this last game. Um, I don't think the Washington team is very good at tackling, especially in the second level. Um, their linebackers are okay, not great. Um, their secondary, I would say, is below par, especially when it comes to tackling. Um, Nick Chubb had a field day against them. He just ran right through them. Kareem Hunt also. Um, now, those are two excellent running backs. As, as we are well aware, they kind of carved up the Ravens a little bit too in, in week one, so that's not too surprising. But I do think that this is where, you know, the Ravens can kind of get back to the red and butter um, and and really just put their stamp early on, the, on this game and just keep, pounding the ball down, down Washington's throat. And I don't see how they're going to really stop that if, if that's what the Ravens used to do.
0: Yeah. It, it certainly seemed like Washington's not well suited to be able to defend against the run either. I mean, when you look at kind of what their, what their team performance is, but their defensive DVOA, you know, as an example is pretty good right now. They're, it's fourth in the league, better, obviously better than Baltimore um, post Kansas city game, but um, they're not a team that I would have thought would have been this high ranking Um, this quickly and and for sure on that defensive defensive line even without Ionitis and even out with without Chase Young I think that they like you mentioned they've got some depth but once you get outside of those guys um, obviously Landon Collins was a a really nice steal um, for them but it doesn't seem like they've got a whole lot more talent on the defensive side of the ball
1: they have um, they have one player who's also a first round pick actually two players I should mention up front one is Montez Sweat He really stood out to me in the Cleveland Browns game. I think he had a couple of sacks. Um, He was active in in run defense. He's very athletic. Like, he's definitely someone who um, the Ravens are going to have to account for. Um, I do think that, you know, the Ravens have pretty good tackles, um, and they should be able to line up pretty well, especially if he's rushing over Ronnie Stanley. He has the athleticism to match up with him pretty well. Um, On the other side, they have Ryan Kerrigan, who seems like he's been in the league for two decades now. He's been around for a long time. He's definitely lost a step, but he's, you know, a decent, I think, starter. He's not someone who's going to really hurt you too much. They had him drop in coverage a few times. I wouldn't want him to drop into coverage if I was the Redskins or, sorry, uh, Washington (laughs) football team. Um, That's definitely not where his skills um, are at this point of his career. Um, But, yeah, you know, they have John Bostic, I think, middle linebacker. He's a guy who's been around for a long time. I thought he was out of the league like three years ago, but apparently he's still playing. He actually plays pretty well. I think he um, he he kind of flies around the field. He's he's got a, a nose for the football. Um, you know, they, they just have they just have a solid team all around. You know, like you said, Lennon Collins, um, one of the Fullers. Is it Kendall Kyle? One of the Fullers. I think it's Kyle. I think it's Kyle. Um, he's a good cornerback. Um, they have Ronald Darby kind of as a reclamation project who's kind Actually, of...
0: it's it's Kendall. Oh, Kendall. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, so they do have some talent on defense, and I think that last week, um, it's really h- kind of hard to get a great idea of how good or bad they were because I think the offense turned the ball over four times, maybe five times, um, and really put them in bad position. So, I think that while the Ravens probably have a significant advantage, in, especially in their, when they're running the ball, um, I don't want to take anything away from Washington's defense. I think they have a lot of talent. I think they're coached pretty well, but tackling is definitely an issue for them, and their run defense is definitely not their strong
0: their strength. Did you see anything interesting schematically about what they start brought it some other teams? Were they pretty base in terms of their approach?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't see anything that was like, very interesting. Like, like I mentioned, they didn't blitz very much. They kind of just rushed for um, it was kind of a like if you could imagine what a 4-3 defense looks like, this is like what they showed. It was just four defensive linemen with three linebackers lined up behind them. A lot of times they brought in another safety into the box. So it was kind of like this 4-4 stack kind of look um, and the Browns were still able to run on them even with the heavy box pretty pretty easily, it seemed. So I don't think they do much in terms of scheme, but um they they definitely kind of try and get some penetration i would say on on defense up front they kind of do this one gap thing where they're trying to disrupt the play especially the running play um i think you know there's ways to counter that um you can use that aggressiveness against them kind of use use some misdirection you know run away from that um kind of win the edge and you can pick up some big games i I think um the Ravens might want to try to do some wide zone in this one um and and do some definitely some power um where you're inviting the guy to kind of, you know, try and shoot through the gap and then pull blocker around, and you have a wide open um, hole. So I think there's definitely some ways that the Ravens can scheme against this team, and it's it's not something that I think the the Washington team is is kind of hiding behind. They're not not showing their cards. I just don't think they're that creative on the defensive side of the ball.
0: Yes, yeah, Sweat was a guy that I actually wanted the Ravens to draft when they drafted Hollywood Brown. Um, I was certainly, I'm certainly pleased with kind of what the Ravens have gotten out of Hollywood Brown. I think he could be more than they use him um, to be right now. But um, even, even kind of outside of that, I thought sweat was going to be the pick when he was still on the board there. Um, The Ravens love to take those guys that kind of fall in the draft like that. And it seems like he's certainly lived up to, his pre-draft kind of conversation in terms of being like cusp top 10, top 15 type guy who ends up going more like 25. Um, So he's definitely a guy to keep his, keep our eye on. Um, You know, alternately to go back to the Ravens for a moment, I thought Tyree Phillips actually played pretty well against Kansas city. Um, You know, I thought Bozeman and Skrra actually played fine as well. Um, But, but Phillips in general was not the guy getting beat that we kind of, all expected to before the game, and so I was pretty happy about that overall. Um, I think it's going to be another big test for him and another big test for the offensive line. Um, but hopefully, they can. This is an, another opportunity to gel. I think. I think there is some risk that we see something similar, especially on the offensive side of the ball. There's something we see something similar to what happened between the KC and Cleveland games last year, where things kind of came apart at the seams um on the Ravens in week four as well I think that was on the defensive side of the ball but I think that with this defensive line it could be a wake another wake up call moment for the offensive line or for Greg Roman or for Lamar Jackson those those three entities collectively I think the quarterback group the offensive play caller and the offensive line group have just got to get on the same page and they're, they're not there yet um and the Ravens it, last year the the counter example is our inside linebacker group was just not in sync and defensive line we're we're just not in sync with what the ravens needed and and kind of let them down pretty badly um i think there's some risk of that happening this week but um i still think the ravens are going to be able to score some points on these guys
1: yeah i think that's definitely going to happen Um, i'd be surprised if the ravens don't put up 30 points in this one Um, and one of the things you mentioned was you you said the the ravens offensive line actually played pretty well against Kansas City, and, and I would agree with that. I think that they did play well. Um, I think I, I don't think Lamar completely trusts the offensive line yet, though I, th- I think, um, especially after the first week where there were some issues um, in, in patch protection, um, he's tended to not be completely willing to stand tall in the pocket, um, step up in the pocket when need be, and he's he's tended to maybe kind of get a little frenetic and kind of try and break to the outside a little too fast, try to, you know, use use his athleticism. Um, And I think that worked for him in the first week, and that maybe was giving him a bad lesson that you can get away with that because it actually hurt the Ravens quite a bit, I think, in the Kansas City game, that he wasn't willing to kind of stand in the pocket, maybe for an extra beat just to let a guy come open. And then when he bails out, you're really limiting what you can do. Um, I think the Kansas City was kind of baiting him into that in some senses, and they wanted that to happen because it, it does kind of make the field smaller. And if they were able to, you know, rally to that side of the field and take away those defend, those pass catchers, um, and you know, have somebody kind of who was spying Jackson come in and give him some pressure and space, it really made him uncomfortable and there weren't many positive plays that resulted in jackson doing that so uh, i'm going to look to see if jackson learns his lesson perhaps and tries to stay in the pocket a little bit longer maybe maneuver around if need be extend plays if he has to but i think if he can just kind of have a little bit more trust in his offensive line you know look through his progressions wait for his his guys to get open i think there can be some plays in the passing game too against against this uh Washington team.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the Chiefs have a, a adjusted to more of a four man rush style. You know, they were they used to be a 3-4 team. They're more I don't even know what you would, I I don't know that you would call them. I mean, I think they probably are 3-4 how they refer to themselves in their base, but they basically rush four pretty exclusively and don't try and bring any of those edge deception stuff. Um, and when that happens and you're only rushing four guys and you've got guys that are like Frank Clark and guys, so I say that's in the sense that are like Ryan Kerrigan, those guys rush up the field by the quarterback, right? Um, and that takes them out of the plays against guys like Lamar if you slide down, or if you climb back up the pocket at that point. And then if you're only rushing four, you've got to free at least one blocker if you're not keeping another guy in to block which is going to create an opportunity for somebody to pin down whoever the other inside guy is on that side and Lamar to have a running lane through that gap of the pocket. And he's not been looking to run through that gap. He didn't look to run through it against Houston. He didn't look through to run through it against Kansas City. And when I say run through it, I don't necessarily mean run for a first down. I just mean run into that space and stretch the defense vertically and horizontally simultaneously. And you have given your offensive lineman, or in this case, your tackle the complete advantage because now he has pushed the defender all the way back up the field. He can turn around and he has kind of an ability to isolate and like use Lamar as the the mirror to create that space. And so, if Lamar starts to do that again. And I say again, because he used to do that. <laughs> this is not a foreign concept to Lamar Jackson. Um, I think he, I think you're right. He just got into the habit of kind of running to the edge. And I think Houston actually saw him. Th- th- we, and I said this when we did the podcast after the Houston game, there were some indications that he was trying to get to the edge in that game and that Houston thought he was going to and that they were running him out there because they thought they could actually beat him to the edge. Um, and, and and how do you counter that? You cut back, right? Like if, if you think about that from a, just a running game perspective in general, it's pretty easy to counter. Um, so I'm interested, I'm particularly interested because we'll, I think we'll mostly see four-man rushes from the from the Washington football team um, to see whether or not Lamar makes that adjustment in this game. And then then it's up to the Ravens coaches in futures games to say, okay, they're going to run contain or they're not going to run contain. They're going to try and keep that B gap closed, which means that Lamar is going to be able to loop to the outside of that pocket and around.
1: Yeah, we'll see um, how Lamar, you know, reacts, how how he maybe changes his approach in this game. Like he said, it's a a talented defensive line, even without a couple of their top players. You know, they have first-round talent still all over the place. And it's definitely going to be a bit of a challenge, I think, for the Ravens. Um, But I think they're up for the task, and I think they're going to want to really bounce back after what they – showed on Monday night football, even though it is a short week, um, the Ravens defense also kind of got exposed a little bit on Monday night football. Um, you took a look at the Washington football team offense and how do you, how do you think the Ravens are going to match up against them?
0: Yeah, I, I still can't get over the Washington football team bit, which I still think is hilarious, but, um, I'm glad they changed their name. Um, but, uh, you know they don't have a whole lot of talent on offense. Um Terry McLaurin is is the offense really. Um and so kind of I'll start with Dwayne Haskins. Um there you you can see the talent there. He's a big, tall guy that's willing to stand in the pocket, but he stares down his receivers badly. Badly. Um if Lamar Jackson stared down his receivers like the, the way that that um Dwayne Haskins does, that you know I can't even imagine what the media would be saying about him um, and the, the, pundits at large, but he, he stares down his receivers. Um, he does stand tall in the pocket, but once his, once his first and second options kind of get read through, it then kind of turns into a panic and Dwayne Haskins, once he gets going can kind of move um, and, and he's athletic but for a guy with his athleticism, he is a terrible scrambler as well. Like he, like like, there's no kind of wiggle in his run, um, and it's all kind of vertical north south speed kind of thing. And he's got to get it going to get there. And then he tries to slide, and and it's awful. Um, and he doesn't have great ball security when he's doing that. Um, and he doesn't have great ball security when he's in the pocket, kind of. So he, it's kind of like one of those things. If if you can imagine a five or seven step drop, he kind of drops back. He usually it's somebody running a slant that's what he kind of was best at throwing and usually to McLaren, who's good at running slants um he looks there he looks to a second option and then if those aren't there it looks like panic kind of comes across his face and it's like what's what's next and in those instances he's taken sacks he's throwing interceptions he's made really bad decisions on the other side of that um and and the you know the football watching a football team doesn't have a whole lot of responses beyond that you know they run a lot of kind of end arounds um and reverses they try and kind of get things going side to side jet sweeps that kind of stuff um and they have a couple guys on you know Sims and McLaren were are fast enough to be successful in that so you, you, it does keep you a little excuse me keep you a little honest um, but mostly it's the slant routes. He's really comfortable throwing slant routes, and the one thing that I saw from Haskins in particular is he's very comfortable throwing against the zone. Um, his accuracy seemed to decrease from my perspective against man-to-man pretty badly. His his spot leading receivers and Lamar's been pretty bad about this this year as well. I think that Lamar's kind of left a couple touchdowns on the field because he's underthrown or thrown behind guys a little bit this year instead of kind of leading them a little bit. And Haskins is the same way. He kind of is throwing at the guy or at the spot. And if he's not in sync with a receiver on what that's going to be, it's not a successful play. Um, He loves to throw the slant though. That that quick slant look um, against the zone is one that he's been really effective at. And I know I was talking trash on the fire zone blitz earlier today, um, but the Ravens are going to run one of those and it's going to turn into a turnover. They're going to drop a defensive lineman right into that slant spot on one of those plays when they know it's coming and they're going to bait him into it because they're going to have Judon or Bowser on the outside. He's going to, it's going to be a steamroll rush and he's just going to throw it right into the belly of Calais Campbell or Jihad Ward or Prunel McPhee, whoever it ends up being. Um, they're going to bait them into that. And Marcus Peters is going to bait this guy into an interception too. Um, Dwayne Haskins is everything you would expect a, and he's not a rookie this year, but he is everything that you would, would expect a rookie quarterback to be when I watched him on film. Um, and and then alternately the team does not have a good enough offensive line or running game to make up for that. Um Gibson is all right as a running back, um, but not that great. I think actually McKissick looked like the best guy on film to me. Um, I was, I I guess I was surprised they cut Peterson only because it's not like McKissick is this like young up and coming. the league kind of knows who and what he is. um, And they really could have used a better back to kind of anchor what they're trying to do with Haskins um, a little bit, but at the same time, you know, they've got Scherf on the offensive line and, um, Moses Malone, are they're, they're pretty solid players. But beyond that, they just don't look like they have it on the offensive line either. And so you said this a little bit about the Houston Texans game. The Ravens are just going to out-talent these guys. And Wake Martindale's system and scheme is textbook 101 for how you make an offense like this look bad.
1: Yeah, I, I think that Wayne Haskins is in for a long day. Um, he's he's shown flashes here and there um and like you said Terry McLaren I think is a, is a good receiver he's someone who he, he runs his routes really well he's got speed um Sims has some speed they've they've converted Logan Thomas into a tight end who's you know he's not anything special but he's someone who can make a third down catch for you I actually thought that Antonio Gibson looked pretty good I think he has some wiggle he has some burst um i I think he's someone who doesn't have much experience playing running back. He kind of was a running back wide receiver hybrid in college. Obviously he's a rookie. He doesn't really know much yet. Um, but I think, I think he's a player who could potentially develop into kind of like a Daley Johnson kind of, kind of player. Um, cause he has, the, he has the athleticism. He has the speed, he has burst, he can break tackles. Um, I just don't think he knows exactly how to play the running back position yet, especially at the NFL level. So he might be a player that, you know, breaks a couple of plays. Um, I think he can do a few things in the passing game. Uh, like you said, J.D. McKissick is another guy who was I think, pretty active as, a, as like a third down back, as a kind of a scat back. He's very small, shifty. Um, I feel like historically the Ravens kind of struggle against those players. Um, I could see him, you know, on an option route, toasting Patrick Queen pretty easily. Um, <laughs> that's something we're going to have to watch for. Um, but overall, there's there just isn't a huge amount of talent on this offense, and Dwayne Haskins is kind of the anchor to an offense, as opposed to the wind in the offense's sails. Because I see him make more negative plays than positive plays. To be honest, um, he just doesn't have a great sense of coverages yet. He doesn't have a great sense of you know how to read a defense. He kind of just if he sees a guy open, he'll kind of zing it in there. And then sometimes that guy's not actually open and it turns into an interception. He doesn't have the most accuracy. I think he's under 60% completed passes. Um, obviously, he threw three interceptions in this past game. Um, I Like you mentioned, he does kind of have a little bit of a pocket presence. He's willing to stand in there and take a hit. But um, I think in the end, it, that's not going to really do a lot for him um, because if he's not willing to really be an accurate passer who's able to read the field very well, standing in there isn't going to do much for him unless he has a guy who's wide open. So it's probably going to be a long day in the office for Dwayne Haskins. And I I put in my article this week, it could be what you might call a stats game for the Ravens defense. I could see them getting, you know, half a dozen sacks, several turnovers. Um, I'd I'd be surprised if, if the Washington football team cracks 300 yards of total offense in this one.
0: I mean, I could see the Ravens and this would be, you know, I don't know that they would definitely do this, but getting into kind of like their nickel that like their nickel package, um, rushing five or six guys every single play, playing man press, and just just really forcing Haskins to, to make really good plays to beat them and him just not being able to overcome that. They won't do that because Wig Martindale loves his deception and, and they love those packages and they love to kind of rotate and do all those different things but the Ravens have enough talent that they could just put their best 11 guys out there, put them in man press with a cover 2 shell, blitz five guys with like one guy kind of like patrolling the middle just to make sure everything's fine and I think that they would they they could cleanly cleanly defeat this team. So, um I think I think they're going to bring a lot more deception than that. I think they're going to throw the kitchen sink at this guy and I think it's going to be a really long, they're going to take, they're going to take out a lot on this guy. I think they're going to hit him hard. Um, but you know, I think there are a couple guys that we want to see better games from, you know, I I think we want to see better games from Patrick Queen for sure. Um, we definitely need to see improvement from him. Um, Matt is a guy that should get onto the field this game. Um, and I think that, you know, it's also a game that I'd like to see potentially like a guy like Geno Stone be active. You know, I, I think the Ravens, are going to be up and, and even like the, you know, the justice hills of the world. I don't know who gets inactive for him. But I think that there's going to be some junk time in this game. And there's going to be an opportunity for some guys to put some things on film. Um, Averett is a guy who should be prepping to play some time on mcLaren So he can kind of get comfortable playing better wide receivers. Um, I thought Averett played pretty well against the Chiefs. Um, so you know, I certainly don't say that he needs to bounce back in the same way the Queen Emily Harrison did, um, but I think there are going to be some opportunities down the in the second half of this game um, for some lesser players to also kind of have some opportunities too.
1: Yeah, I definitely will have my eye on the Ravens rookie linebackers because this might be a game where they can gain some confidence. Um, there's a good chance that they're still out there quite a bit and. They might be put in positions where they're asked to do the things that they excel at. And for Patrick Queen, I think that's blitzing. Um, I think Willie Harrison is good run defender. I think he can drop into coverage. Uh, I wouldn't ask him to be covering many players man to man, but I think he's good in zone. Um, and except
0: against Eric, except against Eric Fisher. <laughs> yeah. Uncoverable. Un- un-
1: yeah, that's, that's unfortunate play. Um, but you know, I think there's, that's one of those things that you say, okay, I I made this mistake, mental mistake. um, And he's got to rebound and and hope for a better opportunity the next game. And I think that's going to come around this time. So
0: I think you're uh, right. They've just got to simplify it for these guys and let them play, let them do a couple things that they're really good at for the duration of the game and like be complex with everybody else. But like, let patrick queen stay between the hashes in terms of past events and what he needs to do or put him in man assignments that he just are super clear from the get-go don't ask him to jam a running back coming out of the backfield don't ask him to be doing all this deceptive stuff you know let him blitz when he needs in in certain packages because he's been he's excelled at that as well and let these guys get some wins under their belt feel comfortable about certain things so they they're not it felt like queen and Harrison were thinking way more than playing this past game and the game passed them by. So hopefully, hopefully wink kind of slows things down a little bit for them in that regard.
1: All right. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for me. Do you have any final thoughts about this game?
0: No, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I, you you know, you want to see the Ravens come out and wing big. I, I am worried a little bit that, that, you know, it's a little like, week four last year, I still think, and I'll stand by this until they get it synced up, that the Ravens are a little out of sync as a team still, and and that we haven't seen even the Cleveland game where they pretty much dominated it. It still didn't feel like, it didn't feel like the Rams game from last year, for example, or the Patriots game or the Seahawks game for that matter. Um, you know, the Ravens at that point in the season were kind of in sync gelling across the board we're doing things with very clear intentionality all all along the way. And this is the, you know, hopefully this is either the chiefs game was the wake up call or this game's going to be the wake up call. I think that this game could be a wake up call in the sense that it's close and not a blowout, but I don't think they're going to lose this game.
1: Yeah, maybe it's close. I don't think it's going to be close. I think it'll be a blowout. I do think you might be right about the fact that the the team just doesn't look completely in sync yet. And, you know, even in the Cleveland game, the, the game started off pretty close. Like they put it, away in the second half. And they also put it away against the Texans in the second half. They kind of got out to lead at the end of the first half and then were able to solve the game away. But we haven't really seen a, f- a full four quarters of this team is just like, you know, head and shoulders above their competition. And I'd like to see that it might be this game. It might not be something that we see until later on in the season. You know, the, honestly, like even last year, the Ravens didn't really, you know, start clicking until it was like week six, week seven. I think when they started really getting into their groove, um, it might be that it's going to be the same way this this year. And, you know, this year they didn't even have the benefit of having a preseason. They had less practice, obviously, with COVID. Um, so there are a lot of teams, I think, that still don't really know what they're doing. Um, and I think that's honestly the reason why the Ravens got up to a 2-0 jump and looked so much better because they just have more talent than other teams. Um, and then – but the reality is, you know, the Ravens are still putting things together too. So – I think this is definitely an opportunity to kind of right the ship, to kind of get back on track and maybe start gelling like like we're talking about. Um, I want to highlight a couple of players who I think are going to be the stars. Um, so on the offensive side of the ball, you know, I think this might be the Gus Edwards game. We talked we talked about him a little bit um, in the past. I said that maybe he shouldn't even be on the team, I think. I might have said that in the offseason. That's a bad take by me. Um, I think he's the guy that the Ravens need to rely on in the running game right now because I don't see the same juice with Mark Ingram. Um, I really like J.K. Dobbins, and I I do want to see more of him, but I think that we've seen the most out of Gus Edwards, and I think he's the guy that you want to uh, feed the rock to and, you know, maybe give him 15, 20 touches in this one and see if he can rack up, you know, 100-plus yards and a couple touchdowns.
0: Who do you have? Yeah, you know, I'm going to go with Hollywood Brown. I mean, he needs that. the, The Ravens have to figure out how to get him kind of going because you know one or two shot plays a game for him, that is not good enough for me. And that is, that is the approach for the Ravens right now. They're, they're almost using him as the backbreaker. And they're looking you know like they got in the, the play in the Cleveland game. You know They're looking for him, like, we're going to set it up, we're going to set it up, we're going to set it up, we're going to take the one shot. And they had one downfield pass to Hollywood where Lamar overthrew him and he was open in the Kansas City game. But that was really the only kind of high impact look that the Ravens were trying to do with that. I'd like to see them run him on routes like that 10, 15, 20 times a game and see if they can make him pop. Um, So he's going to be my pick for now because he was also my pre breakout guy for the year. And and he's, he's been a relative letdown up to this point in the season in that regard.
1: Yeah. I thought, I thought that Hollywood Brown would be more involved in the offense as well. He just hasn't gotten as many targets. He was, he had a lot in the first week, but since then it's kind of been really a minor part Um, on the defensive side of the ball. I think that I'm going to go with Matt Judon. Um, I think he should have had a sack last week. I'm pretty sure he was on sides on that offside call. He seemed like he was timing it perfectly, so I'm a little annoyed about that. that was an important play in the game that went the wrong way. Um, I think he might have a couple sacks in this one, maybe a forced fumble. Um, I could definitely see him being a constant menace in this game to, to Dwayne Haskins.
0: Yeah, I think Judon's going to have a big game. Well, you and I, both you and I, before all these games, one of us has always picked Judon. Um, and, <laughs> and, so you know, in, in that regard, I think so. I think Marcus Peters is the guy that I would pick as the bounce back guy. I, he, first of all, he's just Dwayne Haskins is just a bad matchup for him in the sense that Patrick Mahomes is is a bad matchup for Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters is a nightmare matchup for Dwayne Haskins. Um, I think we'll see something kind of crazy in that regard, but um, you know. Yeah, I guess I would, I would go with Marcus Peters or I would go with, um, or I would go with Clays Campbell. I think that the Ravens in the interior of this line and look, this is the thing that I think didn't really get covered in the Kansas city game. The Ravens run defense in, in nickel packages or smaller was fantastic. Um, they really bottled up Edwards Hilaire, um, if the Ravens have figured out a way to stop the run in these six and seven man fronts, the rest of this NFL needs to look out because then they, can, if they, then they can start to get it together and they do really just start to bring six and seven man blitzes with regularity and they've got guys like Peters and Humphrey who can cover um, but they can still stop the run out of those looks. It's going to be really hard to beat the Ravens because then you're going to have to block you're going to have to drop six or seven guys back to block. You're only going to be able to put two guys out in routes and you're going to have to do it against Humphrey and Peters. Um, And so if the Ravens can do, get that going, um, you know, keep that run defense at this level. Um, And I think that the Redskins are going to, or the Washington football team is going to try and run the ball. Um, That's also something to keep an eye on.
1: All right. Um, Yeah, that that sounds good to me. I definitely think, um, you know, Campbell and Peters will both have big games. You know, Peters is probably embarrassed about his performance last week. He lit up two touchdowns. One was egregious where he just kind of tried to undercut a play and and let the receiver, Hardman, get behind him in coverage. That was a terrible play. Um, He's going to be annoyed at himself, and I think he's definitely going to try and make up for it in this one. So. I'm looking forward to seeing how the Ravens' defense plays. I'm looking forward to seeing how the offense plays. Um, Hopefully this is the game that they get, you know, things started to cook.
0: Yep. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Check us out at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. You can join us on the message board there. Um, you can read some of the articles that we're putting out on a week-to-week basis. Um, Gabe is usually previewing the upcoming week. I'm reviewing the prior week on um, part of One Side of the Ball, so we'd love to hear from you there. We'd love to see you on the message board. You can catch us on Twitter. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at BSL Jordan Co. Um, thanks for tuning in tonight, and uh, let's go Ravens.